Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man wala. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajlul hazna idha shayla sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa isna ibadatik ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, uh, okay, so today inshallah, uh, what I want to do... Um, uh, before actually I tell you what I want to do We've got uh, two pieces of nice news uh, The first is we have Abu Iman Insha'Allah uh, um, Has had a baby girl And as a result of the coming of Iman We have been given uh, The only currency which we accept In this class Which is chocolates And there's nothing wrong with chocolates old man Okay, Absolutely nothing wrong Just because you don't eat them yeah. But we'll take your share Don't worry so we have, uh, I counted them before Bob's come and took the bag away. And there were four boxes, so make sure that we see four boxes afterwards as well. Yeah? So we'll, uh, we'll hand those out towards the end. We'll hand that out when it starts getting boring. Yeah? And then we'll, uh, we'll give some to the, to the people at the end as well, inshallah. That's the first. Hey, Wallah, don't do that to me, man. I'd be so nervous. There's nothing worse than seeing chocolates and then them going. If they go in and you don't know about it, it's not a problem. What you don't know won't kill you, right? But then as we always talk about that audacity of hope when you're thinking and expecting and wanting chocolate and then it's gone. That's the worst feeling in history. You know what I'm saying? So you get the second piece of news, which is very nice news for myself to hear for uh, Dr. Shahzad and Abu Dhar and these guys, which you don't know yet actually, is um, our brother Samid. Remember Samit? So I'm getting from Switzerland. Well done, Abdel Nasser. Well done. Yes. Okay. We have one of our old timers, original gangsters, Yani, from 2012, right? <laughs> professor. Yes, yes. Professor Samit. Okay. Well, he's going to be professor anyway. Yani, he's like hardcore nerd. He's the scientist who does CERN. You know, hardcore behavior. Anyway, uh, he uh, we know him because he joined the LP retreat when we had it uh, a couple of years back. And uh, he came down for that. He's an awesome brother, mashallah. And he's a proper Pakka LP student. And he sends in the best feedback. He cussed my Makkah lesson so badly. And he's, he's so polite when he did it as well. You know, with all my dearest respects, yeah, I don't want to offend, but I don't know what happened that lesson. <laughs> that was excellent, excellent, excellent criticism, actually. And I gave him my reasons for why it was a lame lesson, because it was. It was. I want to talk about that. We'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, let's talk about the good news first. So, Samid, mashallah, he's getting married very soon. He's been on that case for a long time, mashallah. And uh, so, you know, he sent me the news and he sent an invitation as well. Um, to And big salams and du'as to all of you guys. So, I wanted to share that with you. So, uh, uh, that's that. Now, I just want to talk about that uh, lesson, actually. Not, not being defensive. Because actually there were some really good points that he made and it also ties in with something which Shaz was saying. See, the Makkah lesson, and obviously it was taken, you know, with the Kaaba, you know, in motion. You could see people making tawaf. Visually, it was something spectacular, frankly. Yeah. But Shazad was always making this point before that when we are on the road and we kind of think of these, you know, nice locations, the focus is going too much to the location and it, it the, our focus then moves away from the actual lesson. And from a student point of view, they're more kind of, you know, what's happening behind and what's happening, whatever. And they don't focus on a lesson. And I think a bit of that happened, that people are looking at that and not the subject. And likewise, myself, I was so focused on making sure that 
the lighting and all this nonsense that I'd never care about at all was good uh, to catch the view below that I didn't focus on the lesson as well. Likewise, I was completely mm -hmm. uncomfortable throughout, which is why, because I was, I was very, very busy and very stressful kind of uh, responsibility looking after the people of uh, Umrah. And uh, that's what led to not even having a lesson the week after. You know, the same kind of mentality I just physically could not and mentally could not handle going through that again with Masjid Nabawi in the background and this and that and try to prepare for the lesson. I couldn't do it. But there was another reason as well. One of the points that he made, which I really liked, is that he said it was a really strange lesson. There was very little Quran and Sunnah. There's very little evidence. It was just yani, da, 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 like you're reading text. And when I reviewed it, he's absolutely right. It was very kind of light on evidence and rationale, but it was very kind of just wrote statements of scholars. And there's actually a reason behind that. And you might have gathered it in the last few lessons, but what I wanted to say, and I want to touch upon it today in today's lesson as well, is that the issue of clothing is actually very light when it comes from the Prophet Sallallahu even from the Qur'an, we have the ayat of hijab, of jilbab for the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, which are then extended to all the believing women. Okay. And the mention of the khimar is once. And the mention of the prayer. I mean, this obviously is not the section for women's clothing. This is not what we're doing. We are very specifically talking about what men and women should wear in prayer. Okay, if we start to break our structure and start going on to whole different subjects about what is dress code for men and women completely outside, that's a huge subject and we can't really deal with that here. Okay, but the point is, is that from the Quranic point of view, there's one ayah which refers specifically to taking the zina at every masjid, which means every time you pray. There is some mentioning of the awra, which is general. Okay, um, and in the story, yeah, and you'll see it's very minimal. And then when it comes to hadith, also likewise, not many hadith. The Prophet Sallallahu uh, commanded that any woman that reaches menstruating age must not pray except with a khimar, okay, with a, uh, a veil, a head scarf, basically. And um, a few other hadith here and there that talk about where the aura is. And uh, yani, it is light. And when something is light from Quran and Sunnah, you'll see that the early scholars fill it with their own opinions. And so when you see this discussion, because I want to summarize, last week was basically the, the clothing of, of, of the woman in the prayer, right? That was what we did last week. And we mentioned a couple of principles. Now look at, just now step back from with your Quran and Sunnah lenses on and look and see how subjective this is. We can summarize so far that we dress in the prayer for the purpose of zina, okay? To beautify ourselves and respect what we are in, to respect the institution of the prayer, the institution of the prayer. We said last week, very important lesson, that when we are outside of the prayer, clothing is, yes, used for beautification as well, yani, and honor and respect, but the primary role of clothing changes. The illa changes to protecting from al-iftinan. Yeah, protecting from fitna. Okay? And the idea there is that uh, anything that we or the society perceives to be conducive to temptation or sexualization or hypersexualization or 
whatever, playing on people's desires, then clothing is meant to protect against that. Okay, so there's an overriding principle which covers that part of life, i.e. outside of prayer. But in prayer, it's all about showing maximum respect. Okay, and respect is shown by effort, and effort is displayed physically by clothes and the type of clothes. Okay, so that is the first principle that we have been able to establish. And that's clear from the Quran and Sunnah. Because in the Quran, the two verses which refer to these two principles is the first one is Allah says, take your zina every time you pray. So that's about beautification. And when it comes to the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, and therefore all women, when they were told, and you okay, to cover themselves, min bihin, okay, from their jilbab, okay, the reason was, that they are not harmed. Okay, so that they are harm, meaning that they are not bothered and harassed and irritated by people who are, you know, in the modern day kind of construct would be wolf whistling and, and saying, you know, hello, love, and hey, this, that, you know, the kind of things that, that people sexually harass and then physically harass them as well. And so the idea was very clear. At that time, clothing show was expensive. Clothing uh, 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 expressed honor. Clothing also expressed freedom and meant that you are therefore not available on the market. Quite literally, a slave would be the opposite. They wouldn't be able to afford anything, no clothing. They've got no respect, honor, no clothing. They are owned, so they are literally on the market and they are seen as that as well. So clothing was playing a very, very important role in saying, hands off, don't come near me, don't speak to me, don't irritate me. That's why Allah says, uh, you know, so that they're not irritated. And arafna, and that they're not recognized, yani, uh, they are recognized rather as as free women and not as slave women. So you can see that the illa, the reasoning behind normal clothing is one thing, and then in prayer is something else. After that, it is very sparse. Okay? And there, there, that's where a lot of subjectivity comes in. So Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti, when he teaches this particular subject, he mentions what all of the scholars have been mentioning for 1400 years. That when a woman wears clothes... Okay, for example, we'll just talk about the woman here. They agree, not even that they debate, they agree on the following, that the clothing must be opaque and it cannot be transparent. And they often go into details like I did in the first couple of lessons where uh, by, by all normative standards, uh, some clothing is actually more of a fitna than no clothing. So transparent clothing, lace and all these kind of things we talked about is actually more tempting for a man especially than having actually no clothing. So the clothing must be complete, must be opaque, must be baggy, must not be so baggy so that it becomes super loose so that wind can then risk uh, ex- uh, exposing the aura. Okay? I told, um, uh, when we do fiqh of salah, um, it's actually next, next week's lesson, on the issue of what happens when aura gets exposed. Okay? We always talk about men, don't we? And we always talk about the backside. Right, but there's a whole other group of people called women, and they can't relate to that at all. Their problem is a completely different one. If they have a very, very baggy hijab, for example, by its nature, which is very light and loose, any gust of wind or fan or whatever blows the whole thing up. Now, if there is nothing underneath there, then you are exposing the skin and you are having the same problem as men do when they go into the court and they're not wearing a shirt properly tucked in, etc, etc, etc. So the scholars refer to this particular problem as when clothing becomes too baggy. 
So you can actually have an idea of this concept of too baggy, baggy or too loose clothing. I go further. They said that the uh, clothing itself uh, it, it shouldn't be uh, body defining. We said at the beginning of this, in the first sentence, is that it should not show the skin. Okay? There is no hadith which indicates that the skin is key. The skin aspect is a what we call uh, istidlal, yani, uh, 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 scholar's interpretation of the general texts, because they know that it's obligatory to cover the aura, and the word cover means that it can't be seen. So if something is covering something, but it can be seen through it, then you're not defining cover. Now, some people might say that no, they could argue, they say that no, cover is anything which is on top, i.e. physically cover. By the definition of cover, it doesn't mean that you can't see it. Right now, they would lose the argument once you start to see not hadith, but statements of the companions and of tabi'een and their practice and their some indications from hadith, but the, the expressive statements come from the companions. Now, as I've said to you before, when you are doing fiqh and you don't see a lot of hadith and a lot of heavyweight yani ayat from the Quran and Sunnah, and then you have then uh, 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 rulings and statements of the companions then these scholars themselves will then have more of a, a space and a more of an opportunity to give their own opinion. They will say, right, well, that's just an interpretation then. That's what Umar said. But look, Abu Huraira said something different. Look what Aisha believed, but Um Salama said something different. And that gives them the confidence to say, when they differ so much, because there is not a lack of guidance, because we don't say that from the Prophet ﷺ. Because if you look, like I have been for today's lesson, you will see hadith there. But they are in the minor books. They are more weaker narrations. They are far, far less well-known, etc., etc. Then you'll see the scholars give a lot more subjective advice. And that is why this whole chapter of clothing is one that you've got to not take with a pinch of salt, but you've got to be mature when you're dealing with it. So when we understand, for example, in Saudi, when we hear their scholars give a ruling, on the one hand, now you know why they are so confident in their statement because it is subjective. At the same time, you would appreciate why they might have an opinion. At the same time, you'll feel the confidence to not apply it here. So for example, they're big on the color black. And it fits their culture and their society and the generality of the evidences. Okay? So for example, you'll see the, Sa the Saudi scholars, they will completely prohibit any clothes that look like the clothes of non-Muslims. Okay, and they would argue that this is tashabbuh, yani imitation in the religion. And likewise, they would consider colors uh, or designs that attract attention to be those kind of things which are causing fitna. Now, in a society where it's literally black and white, literally, okay, that has an argument that has some, that has some weight. In a country like this where there isn't this kind of dichotomy of just black and white, but many people are in all different colors, it doesn't apply, in my opinion. Some scholars say no, but the majority say that black is not some blessed color. Black is not some kind of you know, divine reality, but it's a subjective interpretation of the fiqh of clothing, which they've applied. And whereas in our time today, we in our country can apply other colors, whatever, as long as we yani, cover certain... Uh, principles. We don't yani, have this attention uh, 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 grabbing, attention kind of inducing uh, uh, designs and whatever. I don't know. So I think it's very important for us to appreciate this.
At the same time, there are people that will then say, they will then, they'll, they'll take this and they'll take it to another extreme. So now we've got rid of the color black and cut, we've almost got rid of the shackles of the things which are constricting us and our dress, okay? Women's dress specifically, for example, here. Let's say, they'll say, right, so trousers, you know what, in this country, women wear trousers all the time, okay? I don't mean metaphorical ones, because then that, all of our women wear trousers like that, yeah, okay? At home, yeah, right? I'm talking about real trousers, okay? Proper trousers. Natural yes. Proper trouser trousers, yeah? So, uh, no. So, when we're talking about our trousers, you'll see a major negative reaction against that. In, in almost, you know, almost consensus in the East or in the Muslim countries that the trouser is something which is completely foreign to our culture, especially on a woman, okay? And in the West, they will argue, well, hold on, women are wearing trousers all the time because the, the wider society wearing it all the time and it's completely normal. And because there's not many evidences and whatever, what, not, what prohibits it? So here we have this issue where people then start to lose a bit of control because in actual fact, there is a middle ground and there are evidences. There is a concept, like for example, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti, he states that when it comes to the jilbab of a woman, one of the problems that have developed is the development of the arm. I want you to imagine this. Okay? Think about just how much of a different conservative reality they're talking about. Okay? The development of the arm. Now, obviously, if you're into kind of, you know, understanding clothes, you know exactly what he's trying to say. But if you don't, it's like I explained in the last few weeks. Women, when they pray, they normally have a throwover, yes? And that throwover, I like to use either the Afghani or the Irani example. The Iranian one is literally just this, just like a massive sheet that might as well just have just the hole for the head. Literally nothing else. Literally just throw it over and it's just a huge baggy kind of thing. Yeah? And the Afghani one is similar, but it's a little bit more structured because it has a stitch there and, you know, you can literally have a head and whatever. Okay? And then, um, and, and the key thing is, is that there is no necessarily arms per se. So when I say an arm like this, this is an arm. It's stitched. It's meant to fit my arm and it shows my arm. Now the mass majority of jilbabs and abayas that the women are wearing all have a stitch there to, yani, you know, whatever. But these big boys, they don't. What they are is basically this whole thing's open, like, yep. And there's no actual, like, arm. It's just a massive amount of cloth. So when she puts her hands through it, it's like, you know, is there a name for this stuff? Poncho, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we, we discussed last week. Like, like poncho style. It's not like a proper sleeve sleeve, not an arm, but there's a sleeve for you to basically, you know, cover so much space. And it's super baggy and it covers everything, whatever. Now, Sheikh Muhammad Khtar Shankiti said that the problem with the arm is that it goes towards the, prob- the bigger problem of defining physical structure. Okay? Now, this is a major issue now. All right, defining physical structure is that even possible to avoid? Is that even possible to avoid to have a woman's body to be defined by her clothes? Is that is that is is it even possible for that not to happen? Okay, now I found some narrations that I'm going to quote to you. Okay, to show to you that this is not as as yani mindless as you may think. Um, there is a narration that has been collected 
I mean, Sheikh Lalbani said that it is correct, collected in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed. I haven't found it. Okay? Um, but he said, it was narrated by Al-Diyah Al-Maqdisi fi Al-Ahadith Al-Mukhtara. This is one of the books of the Salaf. This is one of the tiny books of Takhrijat. Yani. It's like a manuscript of Hadith. It's not even a known book of Hadith. But of course that doesn't matter. As long as the chain goes back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that's what matters. But anyway, that's its main source. But he also said, and it's also collected by Imam Ahmed and by Imam Al-Bayhaqi with a good chain, the Sanad in Hassan, anna that uh, Usama ibn Zayd said that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, gave me a very uh, gave me a thin Egyptian robe a, a thin Qibtiya Kathifa Qibtiya Kathifa يعني, is basically indicating that it's a very particular type of Egyptian garment which is a bit kind of thin and it's robish okay that was gifted to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from Dihya Al-Kalbi, who was one of the prominent figures at that time. So I gave it to my wife to wear. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Malakalam talbis al-qabtiya, why is it I don't see you the don't see you wearing the qabtiya that I gifted to you? And he said, Well, I gave it to my wife. I dressed my wife in it. Faqala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Murha, okay. فَلْتَجْعَلْ تَحْتَهَا غُلَالَةً فَإِنِّي أَخَافُ أَنْ تَصِفَ حَجْمِ عِظَامِهَا It's a very interesting statement, this. Go back to her and tell her to put on something underneath it. Because I fear that just this will... Uh, 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 how... Uh, huh? No. Literally translated, that I fear that it will describe the size of her bones. That's literally tra- translated. Okay? Clearly there's a much better artistic translation out there, which I'm just... Anyone can help with? Torso. Torso. Showing a torso. Yeah. Not... No, not... 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 not, not body. Huh? Body. Body. I mean... Yeah, exposing physique. I think that's yeah. That's I think what 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 the Prophet is trying to say. It's exposing her 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 beauty or lack thereof by exposing her physique. All right. Meaning whether now whether a person finds that bone structure or that physical shape attractive unattractive. That's an entirely subjective point. But the point is is that a person should not be seeing that or making that judgment call in normative practice. Remember, this is normative reality. This is yani, what's worn outside. We're not talking about you know, two people interested in marriage where it's permissible to look into things like this and see one another in, in, a, in a far greater state of undress so that people you know, feel comfortable with one another. We're talking about normative reality, normative society. What kind of, what kind of yani, medium are we creating in terms of the reactions of people to one another? What should the dress be? And so from this statement of the Prophet ﷺ, okay, that a hadith which is, is considered to be authentic, it would indicate that there is far more to this lists that the scholars make than what meets the eye. There are evidences out there that do indicate that this is a concern, that women especially need to be aware. Now, how far do you go? We spoke about this last week, that if a woman, according to the Hanbalis, you know the Hanbali school, they consider in salah everything to be awra except the face. 
And the Malikis and the Shafi'is, they consider everything to be awrah except the hands and the face. And our position is what? Hands, face, feet. And that was the position of Abu Hanifa and Ibn Taymiyyah, and we think it's the correct position. The, yeah, we said the palms are the, 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 the soles of the feet, by definition mean the top of the feet. Yeah, by definition. Yeah. Now, um, uh, uh, that's like, you know, the general uh, 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 understanding of what the order should be. But now, what these scholars are adding uh, to it, okay, is scenarios. So, for example, if this is needs to be covered, what does covered mean? Okay, well, covered means that it must be opaque, must be baggy, can't be tight, can't describe this, can't be causing fitna, can't be so gany, attractive, saying, you know, look at me, whatever, whatnot, and etc., etc. Then a scenario comes, especially according to the Hanbalis, who, like actually the majority of scholars, consider yani young women especially, that the face is awrah as well outside of the prayer, and that of course is for fitna. So if they see a young woman who is in salah, in the public arena, the question is asked, what happens if the public are passing by and they see her? So some of the scholars, they said that she then covers her face, like one like uh, 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 has been given the concession to by some of the scholars in ihram. So when in ihram, if the need is there, then a woman is allowed to just cover her face so to avoid being identified or to be looked at, whatever. Another group of the scholars, and I have to say that this is where my, my position is, is that this uh, 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 state of, of dress in the prayer has been divinely set. Regardless of whether people are watching or not watching, whatever, that's their problem. And so those who are staring and ogling at a woman, it's their sin, it's their issue. But she shouldn't yani, cover her face. She shouldn't cover her face in the salah. Yeah? So I just want you to understand that there is a lot more to this than me. I'll just like carry on and have a look at some of this. It is narrated by Abu Dawood, Fi Sunanihi, okay? Uh, um, actually, that's the same narration, but it's also narrated by. Um, uh, by by Abu Dawood, and the wording is slightly different, so we'll leave that. And Abdul Razak in his Musannaf. Now you know that the Musannafat yani, of Ibn Abi Shayba and Abdul Razak are full of narrations from the companions, okay, of their day-to-day life and their interactions. What look, look at some of the narrations that they have. Umar ibn Khattab, he said, "Do not dress." فَإِنَّهُ إِنْ لَا يَشِفْ لَا يَشُفُ يَصِفْ Do not dress your women in these Egyptian robes because if they don't uncover the aura, then they certainly describe it. Meaning that just because it doesn't يعني, expose skin per se, it certainly indicating the build and the type and the sexuality and this kind of thing. This ending statement of, if, even if it doesn't uncover, expose the sin, but it uh, uh, expose the skin, but it does describe it, this ending statement has been narrated from Ibn Abbas. He used to hate that people would wear al-qabati because it would do that. Ibn Umar, he uh, gave one of his freed slaves a slave that he had freed, a kipti thobe from Egypt, from Egypt, and so he went and he uh, 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 and he had it slightly yani, adjusted. And Ibn Omar said, "What are you doing?" 
He said, I want to give this to my partner, meaning my wife. Okay? And Ibn Umar said, uh, it might not expose the skin, but it certainly is too tight, basically. It's certainly too tight. And uh, it goes on and it goes on. And so you will see these kind of narrations. Now you'll also see in a few minutes, okay, as we go through the text, that this thing about it is recommended to wear two uh, thobes and it's recommended for the woman to wear one, two, and three, etc. is again all aimed at covering the body in as, as an excessive and as a uh, uh, respectful manner as possible. It goes back down to the issue of what, what uh, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar said, that even we see that a person who comes to the salah yani, uh, in night clothes and pajamas, that's disgraceful. But he went further and he said that in, in clothes like this, which are half sleeve, because in that society there, someone wearing that, they sleep in them as like, as, I, as like I said last week. And also it's seen as down kind of clothes. It's like the same as people coming in shorts and a t-shirt here. But in this country, these clothes are not seen like that. All right? They're seen as yani, what you wear around the home and you would go to the masjid in. So you can see therefore that the sunnah, uh, it, uh, that the, the dress code is definitely subjective according to people, their culture and the culture that they live in as well. Okay, one important issue that I spoke about with, the, with respect to the hat. Okay, should a man wear a hat or not? The Prophet ﷺ used to wear the imama, turban. However, we know that was because it was the dress of the people, not because he wanted to necessarily cover his head. And Ibn Umar criticized those of his students and followers who did not cover their heads. And the ulama pretty much are agreed though that that's not because it's the sunnah, but because in that society at that time to go around bareheaded. Okay, or without covering the head was seen as disrespectful. And as we said, even in this country that was considered to be the same, yani in a completely, completely opposite culture, that was seen the same, you know, up until very recently. And I mean recently, I mean like 100 years, 50 years or whatever. Okay, every man's wearing some form of cap. And you know, the, 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 the higher class are wearing whatever that proper one's called. Huh? A, a top hat or a bowler hat. And then you got a duffel cap, and you know. Yeah, but the duffel cap to someone who was uh, in a higher status, wouldn't it? So, so, that would be showing disrespect so that's interesting because, um, you know, I was, I, I, I don't know if you notice, there's two things that I saw this week which made me think about w- w- this lesson. One, when Pakistan, as usual, got battered by Australia, okay? So, you know, when they go and they do their uh, after game handshakes, so you know that obviously cricketers all wear caps. So you'll often see that they will either attempt to take it off or just do that little black yani where they just kind of just you know just touch it. So they're just going like this. Literally, that's what they do. They go and they shake the hand of the captain and the opposition. And they just touch it, but that touch is enough to indicate, as you're saying, that they want to not be seen with a cap or a hat. But um, uh, so there's that one thing, and the other thing that I saw was uh, N'Golo Kante, you know, when he uh, went back to play Chelsea. And what was interesting, you know, N'Golo Kante, you know, when he's playing because he wears gloves all the time. He's 24-7, wears gloves all the time. And when he was coming out and Ranieri was there next to, you know, the manager to just, to, you know, greet all the players, okay, all of the players just shook his hand normally were then gloves, not gloves, whatever, whatnot. But obviously Kante is going back to a man that he respects, is older than him. And it's very interesting when you see him, he quickly pulled off his glove. Quickly pulling off his glove 
And then he shook his hand. Obviously, Ranieri then got him into a headlock. Yeah, and he said, you dirty dog. Yeah, I know what you did to me. You skanked our team. We're going to get relegated and you lot are going to win. But anyway, so the point is, is that there's clearly an understanding of covering skin, being respectful, but also the irony that removing that thing which is covering the skin also being a necessary part of respect. Right? That's the irony. Because the doffing of the cap, it wasn't just a cap, it would be the hat, it would be a bowler hat, and a bowler hat would be like, you know, at the top letter of the tree. Uh, so there is an idea that different cultures have different kind of understandings. Now today, I don't think it applies, I'll be honest with you. In, in, like, in the West or in the UK, the concept of the hat being a sign of respect, I think it'd be very difficult to prove that. Very difficult. Allah Alam. One and then two. Yes. It doesn't matter if the Prophet went to native Indians, he'd still keep a hat on. Yes. And even when he did wear a turban, he wore a cap on a turban to show that I am wearing a turban, but I'm still different to Abu Jahal and the other I don't know if the, yeah I, first of all on the point of the cap and turban I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that he wore a cap and a turban That's, I'll just say that and Allah knows best I'm, I'm happy to be proved wrong on that I don't think so second there are a number of hadith which praise the wearing of a turban I think every single one is fabricated okay uh, that they increase the reward of the prayer, that they increase the light on the face, that they increase this, increase that, blah, blah. I think, without a doubt, all of them are weak, but I think that actually everyone is fabricated. Or the majority are fabricated and the rest are just weak. So the people who do copy the Prophet ﷺ in wearing a turban, they don't actually do it from a evidence point, from a hadith point of view. Because the hadith are not there to indicate that. What they do it as, and this is a massive discussion, which, I mean, you know, I'll just summarize like this. And that is the discussion surrounding what is the habit of the Prophet ﷺ and what is the religious practice of the Prophet ﷺ. And the scholars differed over this, you see. That, you know, we recognize, the majority, I will argue, recognize that not everything that the Prophet ﷺ did is religious. And this is a very important yani, discussion because it determines how you do your things. So we know that there are yani, different categories of action for the Prophet ﷺ. One, that which is meant to be em, uh, uh, emulated in because it's an act of worship and you get rewarded for. Two, things which he does which are religious but only for him ﷺ, like marrying more than yani, what is the norm. And three, that which is his personal thing alone and that's where the big discussion is. So over the first two people don't really kind of uh, disagree. But on the third one, people do disagree. So you've got two opinions. So the Prophet ﷺ doesn't like onions. The Prophet ﷺ didn't like lizard. Or badger, according to some interpretations of al-dabmiyani. Okay? Whatever this animal actually is. Yeah? But, you know, the rest were like, you know, hey, if you don't like it, then we're down for that behavior. I mean, is it, you know, this hadith of Khalid ibn Walid is amazing. When he pushed it away, the Prophet ﷺ pushed it away. Like, you know, that's not, from the that's not from the food of my people. We don't do that kind of thing. Yeah? And Khalid is like, I want to know, is that haram or is that just you? <laughs> yeah? And the Prophet ﷺ said literally, no, it's just me. It's halal. He goes, well, we'll have that then. Thank you very much. <laughs> and they were bang into it. Right? And that's the most expressive hadith of this issue. That there's clearly some individual likings of the Prophet ﷺ, which there's no reward in copying. Because they were his personal thing. 
now and therefore we shouldn't you know worry about that and that's where the imam according to the mass majority of scholars is this was the clothing of the people or he liked it but it's got no religious significance but then you do have another opinion in in that and this was the this is known as the ibn umar opinion that every single emulation of the prophet with the intention of perfection yani it's a very logical argument frankly today we follow the most stupidest of people yani for absolutely zero logical reason person cuts his hair like that yani i want my hair cut like that like what two weeks later the guy shaves that side off and then he cuts the other way i want to like that and it's some idiot some fool yani yeah some literally low life right or yeah or you know this 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 week's fashion is making two lines in the right like the eyebrow some bugwas like that yeah so why would i not follow the dress sense of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam even if i don't like it at least the man is amazing you get what i'm trying to say that was the logic and to be honest from a logical point of view it makes complete sense from an islamic point of view from an evidence or, or from a yeah an evidence based point of view there's absolutely no evidence for that so that's why they used to see abdullah ibn umar he used to imitate the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in everything the angle that he would walk to the button that would be tied and untied so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam randomly might leave a second button or the top button open so ibn umar would also do the same and if you think about it logically why wouldn't you when someone would say why you done that i saw the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam do that that wasn't because of religious reason well you know what i don't care <laughs> you could get that answer you know what i'm saying you don't get it when someone's copying bloody aguero and ronaldo to la banda yeah but you get it yani so i'm saying there is a discussion to be had there and that is what the majority of the people who wear white clothes or wear thiab or wear kind of lungis or wear imama and they believe yani that these are imitations of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam they know or they're getting around to coming to know now that there is no evidence for this yani from a excellence point of view but we'll do it in emulation hopefully for the reward well you know what it's a valid opinion we shouldn't be harsh upon it but we should be harsh upon people who try to claim it's a sunnah oh no, no no don't you know go there because now you're claiming a big thing you get what i'm saying but as for condemning people for following an opinion uh as a derivative that's something else yeah you've come back to the issue of of colors yeah so in modern times uh-huh. do the scholars say it isn't the issue of color per se but to differentiate the dress of men versus women i.e. women wear bright colors and men should wear duller darker colors to differentiate i think that they can't justify that statement i think it's far too difficult for them to justify that it doesn't make any sense for them it's easier to say that is women saying look at me right so i mean you know uh 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 everyone and we got to be just common sense about this everyone likes to look nice and people the way that they look nice is actually a really subjective thing right like i hate bright colors uh, you know, i know you would never have guessed but i like the color black <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying right and i think that the majority of men are pretty much that way and obviously we have a few blips in in the you know every odd few years where sometimes you know blue becomes a new black and red becomes a new black but you know what really black is only the new black i just wanted to just tell everyone that yeah just so everyone knows yeah although this is also gray is the new black this year but i just want you to know next year i might venture into a few different colors i just want to say that wardrobe is saying no stick to black yeah yeah i got some nice beiges nice you know creams no 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 okay. uh, 
But so, and it's always been in perception that women are really bright and they like to be really bright. Okay. Um, and certainly from a modern perspective, when it's they're free and they're doing their parties and their weddings, it's all a color explosion. Right. Now, when they are there, they're in their absolute rightful free habitat. It is, look at me, I look amazing, right? And I'm in my you know, sparkly thing, or I'm wearing my red thing. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking of Bollywood, because I don't know, whatever. But that's, you, know, you get the point. You don't go into a, 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 a department store and just, you, know, you see lots of different colors, right? Okay. Now, the idea there is, is that they are very happy to say, look at me, and that's what they do. They compliment each other, and they feel great, and that's what they should do. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made human beings any to feel. Now, in the presence of men, should that attitude be there? That's the question. The presence of non-related men to create attention. That's what they're focusing on more, not the color. So maybe a different time of you know, society or the century, uh, a different color will be playing that role. And a different style will be playing that role. So what I want you to know is that from the evidences, it's clear that there is, a, that there, there is good, solid guidance on the, the, the parameters but the final consequence and expression of this is subjective. It is subjective. And a person's just got to use their own uh, good judgment when it comes to dress and clothing. Here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the smacker. Here's the classic part. None of the scholars have said that the prayer of a woman in any of these clothes is invalid. So even if a woman was wearing trousers, imagine tight normal trousers and a red top, and a green scarf, right? Okay, basically like half the sisters basically today, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not, that's just not what they were dressed. Um, they would basically say that they would say that she, her prayer is valid, but here as Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar said, here she is sinful because, for example, she is not covering properly. She's got some uh, skin exposed, which shouldn't be, for example, or the, 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 the dress is tight, or the clothing is tight, etc., etc., etc. So it's important to understand that when push comes to shove, they know that the ruling is covering the skin. But when it comes to the perfection of a person's expression in the salah, outside the salah, whatever, then that's not been achieved. That's not been achieved. Okay? Yes. Yes. There is no evidence for the wearing of a hat being something religious, no. The interesting thing about the hat, as Sheikh Al-Bani said something which is very interesting, it's contradictory at the same side, but it's also very interesting. He was someone who used to very much recommend the wearing of the hat. You see, this is a very difficult conversation, frankly, because look at this, yeah? He's saying that the hat is recognized by the people as an Islamic dress. Okay? Now, when, you know, packs look at thobes as Islamic dress, which is nonsensical, because there's nothing Islamic about a thobe whatsoever. As we said, that the Prophet's clothing was not a thobe. There, he did used to wear kameez, used to wear burda, used to wear a robe, but most of the time it is lungi style. You know? Uh, uh, izar. Uh, Laurent? Sarong? Sarong? Well, I don't know what it's called. Doti? What language is that? Punjabi. Punjabi. Even to say the word is offensive. Punjabi. 
Yeah, okay, dhoti. Lungi, sarong. That was the most common dress of the Prophet Right? And then obviously the the rida on top. What was I talking about? Oh, the, 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 the hat. And so, uh, uh, however, the hat has no function. Yeah, in terms of clothing. Right? No physical function. It's only an applied function. Either you think it's honorable or respectful or religious or whatever. And Sheikh Al-Bani said that even though there's nothing from the sunnah, clearly, about the hat, it is now so synonymous with a Muslim practice that it is now the real, genuine, only Islamic clothing for a male and that they should be wearing it as much as possible. Especially in the West, he said. Which is a sign of protecting one's identity. Now, think about that for a second. And then think on the other side, the general principles that we have with respect to not sticking out. And that the dress of the Muslim should be the dress of the people. That's the sunnah. If you're going to say what is the sunnah of dress, then the dress is yani, uh, the dress of the people as long as fundamental principles are not invalidated or violated. Yeah. So for example... Uh, 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 we have to have that. So, for example, someone could turn around and say, "Well, that, that's why women should wear uh, trousers because that's the clothes of the women." We say, "No, that's where it doesn't go that far because at that moment you are violating the principles of tightness, of showing yani the legs, showing the limbs, etc., etc., which are going against hadith, going against the principles. It's like yani uh, the clothing." craze which I thought would die out five years ago but to be honest it seems to be getting stronger and stronger that whole metrosexual gay bakwas yeah you know that tight shirt skinny tie and the tight trousers jacked up you know men were getting all excited look look mashallah the new trousers are isbal they're above the ankles already kind of thing yeah <laughs> right they're missing the whole point that you just, this is, as a whole package it's like a, it's just like yani, you know I don't know right so the point is is that uh, uh, you now can't now go into that and say that this is the clothing of my people, so that's what I'm going to wear. Uh, because, you know, at the moment, beards are big time. A lot of Muslims are actually riding off the wave of, of the revival of the beard as a style icon, right? Or stylish, whatever it is, yeah? And you'll see that two kind of reactions, or maybe three reactions, those who already have beards now feel more comfortable with their beard, whatever their beard's like, then you've got a second kind of group of people who have now under the cover that now beard is everywhere. They've now started to grow their beard out as Muslims like they're required. Then you've got this third group of people which I really dislike. I don't like, dislike the people, but I dislike what they're doing, which is that they're trying to shape their beard like the stylish one, which I find really distasteful. Okay? That a person intentionally makes it bushy, bushy moustache, bushy kind of style like the... Like the the, the, the image that you got in your mind of the stylish GQ Vogue kind of beard of 2015, 16, 17. Yeah? Because tomorrow, it'll be back to clean shaven again. And when it goes back to clean shaven again, do we then say this is the expression of the people and the expression of my people and the sunnah is not to stick out and the sunnah is to blend in and to be natural. So we say absolutely the sunnah is to blend in and be natural with parameters that do not yani, violate your religion because it's not permissible for a man to shave. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of common sense and a lot of yani, clarity. One and then two. Uh, there's two things. Uh, one, regarding the head covering, um, what's the strength of hadith in terms of wearing head covering when you go to the toilet? And secondly, is, uh, you mentioned about women wearing tight, fitted clothes. 
That's also a good question. Uh, the first one, um, there is no evidence whatsoever that a woman is to um, cover any part of her body specifically with respect to the bathroom or bathing or toilet or anything like that. There's the general principle, which we I think mentioned last week or the week before, that nakedness is something that we should avoid. Okay? Uh, nakedness even by ourselves because we are in the presence of angels and nakedness is only in time of necessity. So what I mean is that obviously to go to the bath you have to be naked or shower or to go you know, for marital relations or whatever. But walking around the house you know, like people do, right? that's unacceptable. Yes, that's unacceptable behavior. And as I said last week as well, that subconsciously this behavior creates subconscious yani, realities. So the more you become comfortable walking around, nudists, they're not crazy people. They're normal people that have normalized an act of craziness. So just a few couple of times walking around the house naked, well, what's the difference? I can probably go to the garden very quickly, no one will notice, then you know what? Then a couple of more times, I don't know. I don't know know where that came from. I don't know. I don't know where that came from, but I'm sure that's where it starts. No. Is that nowhere it starts? Damn, I gotta stop that. Oh god. It's something like that though. Something like that. I'm sure it's close to that. But anyway, so um, now, now I tell you what's interesting that this normal question is normally what about reading Quran? Yeah, yeah, uh, especially women. Uh, okay, but actually men as well, covering their head uh, as a sign of respect because you're reading the Book of Allah and so on. This is more trickier. This really is more tricky because it also links into your second part. Yani, what about when you're by yourself? Right? Surely anything goes. So the same thing goes with the you know, Qur'an, for example. I'm reading by myself. So this really is difficult. Because, number one, there is an understanding that we honor ourselves with clothes. And so as much as possible, we should honor ourselves with as much clothes as possible. As a general principle. Of course, it's not obligated, otherwise life would become impossible. Everyone walking around in robes all day. Yeah, not happening. At the same time, we also know psychologically, and that's the whole meaning of the ayah, O son of Adam, take your zina every time you pray. There are scholars that interpreted in the Kulli Masjid, you know, the most restricted interpretation was literally in the Masjid. The middle expression is whenever you pray. My personal interpretation of this, and some scholars, they expressed tawaf, and the acts of Hajj and Umrah, as all included is this. I believe that everything that has a religious uh, significance. This is a weak position. I know it, so I don't want to try and defend it because it doesn't it doesn't fit with the text. But I want you to understand it holistically that every act of worship you should be dressed for it. And I believe that because I believe that dressing completely changes your psyche to that act, even the act of writing, even the act of reading, even the act of memorizing Quran. There's no doubt that how you are dressed changes your mindset, how serious you take it. And at a time where we are not taking things seriously enough, we need to revive that far much more. Like, for example, the discussion of what you should wear at home is the same as the discussion of what should I wear in front of my mahram people, like my brother. I'm a girl, 20, 25 years old. What's my dress code in front of my uh, brother, in front of my father, in front of my X, Y, and Z? Well, we know, technically speaking, that your aura is aura in front of foreign people and not your mahram. Okay? 
So there was one person that asked uh, Imam Ahmed, Imam Ahmed, so think that now when we're talking, 1200 years ago. Um, is it possible to show my chest? When I say chest, when they say chest, they mean uh, uh, the top of the chest to the neck. Okay, so, so this area. I don't know if there's a name for that. Decotage. Huh? Decotage. Decotage. So the French have an actual phrase for it. Decotage. Ajib, subhanAllah. Look at that. So there you go. So this part of the body here. And the, the, the shanks. The shins. Shank is meaning the same, right? Isn't the word shank ever used for humans, no? no. Okay, so yeah, so shins, yeah? Now you know that actually, the, what I found fascinating about this, the Ruaya, and it's authentic, this, this narration, um, is that that's what women today do, actually. You know, if you're at home, um, women would wear leggings, which would be shorter kind of thing. Right, and they would maybe wear a T-shirt or whatever, which is quite open because they're at home, their kids and their husband. That's basically it, right? And if their brother comes around, they wouldn't change, would they? Okay. And uh, Imam Ahmed was asked, "What about someone who dresses like that at home in front of her brother?" And he said, "Ana akhafu alayhi fitna," that I am afraid of fitna for this brother, for the brother. Now. There's been no tafsir of this statement that's been given. Um, is he saying that I'm afraid of fitna for him? Yeah, and he's specifically for something you know, bad to happen? Or is it the creation of some kind of you know, uh, um, habit? Or what's the word I'm something thinking of? Huh? Maybe trigger something or whatever the point is. So I'm just trying to say that you know, there's a technical reality behind something and a practical reality. Like women in front of women, right? Their aura is literally like the private parts. That's it. Okay? Remember breastfeeding, for example. What do you think happens there? Right? So the breasts are not part of aura from women to women. However, no scholar will say that you do not cover. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And there is no... Yani, there's an understanding that nakedness, even in a minimal sense, is something which creates certain forms of behavior. And it, it becomes... Now, this can become a bit crazy. Right? I mean, what I'm talking about, we want to try and keep it as balanced as possible because it really can go far. Like our older generations, they are hardcore in this behavior. Right? Like, you know, when you see like the, those guys walk in, like my dad, for example. My dad walks in, everyone is running for flipping cover. <laughs> like, oh my God, he's coming. So people are running to the hijab there, jilbab there, grab this, grab that shawl, chuck, chuck, chuck. And the clothes are quite normal, fully covered, but the hair's, covered, the hair's not covered. And subhanAllah, right? My mum miskeen. What a miskeen. <laughs> the whole life she's had to wear that her dupatta at home. My dad doesn't want that dupatta off at any second. It's his culture. Yep. So that's what you've got to understand, that at the core there's a religious value, but the culture really takes it all over the place. And you've got to understand that some of that culture is really a positive thing, but left unchecked and get out of control without understanding the, the dalil behind it, it can get way on top, way, way on top and out of control. 
So yeah, yes at the back, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you remember your question? Yeah, go. Um, the question is, okay. Uh huh. Yeah. So you know what the irony is? Is that we were meant to do a proper lesson from the book, yeah? And we kind of went all over the place. It's actually the next sentence. Um, well, it was going to be the next sentence. Because I need to do, I do need to cover that. So, again, to make it very clear, there's a difference between permissibility and validity of the prayer. So, all my answers will be about whether a person is, yeah, the prayer is valid. As long as the skin is covered, the body is covered, then it's valid. But, uh, no, it is, not, it is not permissible for women to be praying in tight clothing. And it's not permissible for women, I'm talking in front of others, okay? And it's not permissible for women to be dressed like that. I do not hold it permissible for women, for women to wear trousers. I've always said that. I dislike it immensely. And we, we're a real major issue at the moment because a lot of our sisters think that, you know, that it's just about covering the skin. Okay? But a lot of, a lot of these trousers are not baggy enough. There's a big difference between, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what they're called, but, you know, like the baggy kind of trousers. Are they just baggy trousers? Yeah. Uh, flares. Flares. Yeah. <laughs> And the skirty kind of flares and the trouser type of flares, which is acceptable, versus yeah, any trousers, jeans, and or legging types, whatever, whatnot, which they justify by maybe having like a certain like length kameez, which might come down to the knees or whatever, which is not acceptable. It needs to cover those uh, those uh, 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 legs entirely, up to the feet. Absolutely. Here's the irony. The irony is is that. We've, as we said last week, and we're going to be covering, well, <laughs> not, obviously not today, but um, uh, a woman doesn't have to wear anything underneath it at all. It's literally an issue of the external expression, not the internal types of clothing. It's what other people are perceiving and seeing. That's the irony here, that a lot of people focus on this internal clothing, but the reality is, is that it can be anything of any sort. If on the outside there is nondescript, demure, non-describing of the, of the shape and size and sexualizing the person, that's what's all unacceptable. She just has to adapt. She has to adapt. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, here's the irony. Okay, I'm going to talk about an irony here. We deceive... And let shaitan uh, uh, um, convince ourselves that the more professional the profession you're in and the more senior you are, the more you need to conform to a standard. Which is a complete lie that we've told ourselves so many times that we believe it. When I became uh, uh, a professional, that's when freedom started. Because then I realized that you are dependent upon me and I'm the one who calls the shots and I dress exactly like how I want. So when I was a trainee, I remember, when I was a trainee, I was like a jump jar I was. <laughs> Wearing suit, bloody, yani, stuck in this bakwas, yani, whatever, trousers and whatever. But the day I graduated and I got my certificate, damn, the thobe came out and the hat. And I worked for like 15 years as manager and this and that, whatever, in my thobe. 
and then one person looks at me the wrong way, let one person look at me the wrong way. Oh, yes, brother. I was the don. Because I'm a professional. Yani, what I'm trying to say is that, yani, I remember that there's this consultant, a couple of consultants actually, who are senior consultants, who wear full, there's one tablighi guy in Barnsley, I don't know if he's still there, right? He wears the full shaban. The full Monty. Yani turban with the long yani thingamajig and full white, white, white thobe. He's not messing about. Changes every day. Washed with daz. No messing about. Guy's literally sparkling every day. And you know what? I'm telling you now, no one's saying a single thing because he is a professional. And he is the consultant and he is the don. And who's going to say to my man, you know what, you're dressed wrong for your job. You know what I'm trying to say? So anyway, I'm, just, just, I'm not saying that we should do that. Because I already told you that I believe the sunnah is for a person to adopt yani, non-attention-seeking methods. But I just want to put this idea and destroy it because it's nonsense. This idea that I'm a lawyer so I have to dress like this or I'm a doctor I have to dress like this. No, actually, you don't. The only time that I accept that is that I am a chemical weapons yani, hazmat specialist. I have to dress like this. You know what? I agree. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you on that one. I'm not going to you, make you take your hazmat suit off and put, put a thobe on. Yeah? That's where I accept it. But this other nonsense, this is just perceptions which are false. And it's low self-esteem, low confidence that doesn't make people enough, strong enough to, to challenge it. So back to the point, if there is a working sister who wants to maintain a suitish kind of environment, there are plenty of uh, uh, options. Women's clothing, are you kidding me? Women's clothing. That's all the life is about, women's clothing. They've got so many options out there to give you the exact look that you want. You know what I'm saying? So just got to marry it with their principles. Yeah. Uh, I just need some clarification. You said that, uh, like I understand the prayer is valid and everything, but if a woman's at home and she's wearing jeans, for example, yeah. she needs to pray, she just puts a long top over yes. her lens are still showing. Yes. You said, like, she's asking, like, is that with regard to the No, no. So this is, this is the, 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 the killer question, right? What, is, what exactly is a woman doing when she's praying by herself? She's not being seen by anyone. Right? So, where does this whole yani, thing and discussion come from? And that is why it is so important to establish the principles we did at the beginning of the lesson. That the principle governing the prayer has nothing to do with fitna. And um, shapes and type and X is all to do with fitna. Whereas with respect to the salah, it's all about yani, what, we, uh, what I wrote earlier on. Uh, it's tawqifi, meaning that it is a divine kind of set of parameters, and that divine parameters is expressed by making yourself as beautiful, as honest, as respectful, as integrity, as all these kind of adjectives, yani, put them all together, mix them up, that's what you're meant to be presenting. So much so that even if she's completely alone, that's how she prays. So much so. Yeah? Now... Uh, the male is the same. The male is the same. Even though his actual aura is just navel to top of knee even. Okay? You know, we can even argue a little bit of the thigh even. Technically, as a limit. 
it would be outrageous if someone prayed like that. Outrageous. So there's a difference between, you know, what is the technical minimum and what a person does. So what we said is that a woman who's at home wears yani jeans and doesn't cover her body entirely in the way that we've said, then her prayer is valid and she is sinful. And likewise, the man who is doing the same thing intentionally, although the male slightly yani different because, um, well, we were going to cover it, but I mean, I don't think that we've got that much time, to be honest. Otherwise, it becomes very long. It's already been an hour. Yeah? Okay, yeah. <coughs> Sir, when you said the, that uh, we should not stand out in society, isn't that more of a generality? Because you know when we have the Khilafah, most anonymous in order to approach different to us, or certain issues. Yeah. It, Even though we, we want to wear something similar to the people, we still need something slightly different. I, 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 what I want to say is that definitely it is a generality. It is very much yeah, open for discussion and this is not a statement of the Prophet ﷺ which is absolutely qatir and so on and so forth. It's a principle. And that principle uh, would be flexible or adjusted according to a number of parameters. The time of the, the reality of the Muslims. For example, are they a minority or are they a majority? Are they a strong minority or are they a weak minority? Is there a political strife at the moment or is it stable? Does a society praise and promote multiculturalism or is it going against that? Is there a time where people need to make a stand or is there a time where people need to blend in? These are the real factors that determine these kind of expressions. You know, I always used to say myself, Okay, I never, yeah, I need, I'll just give you a personal example, right? That for all of those years that I used to wear the thobe, okay, I had no natural connection to the thobe. It's not like I liked it particularly so, right? But I didn't, dis, I didn't dislike it. And it certainly is not the clothing of my people, right? He's coming, I love you. <laughs> Cheeky guy, man. Cheeky guy. <laughs> I started wearing a thobe in Manchester, I love you know, okay? <laughs> East Ham, that's quite good. At that time, East Ham wasn't what it looks like now, by the way, okay? So, um, and I used to genuinely, and I still genuinely believe this, okay? Because we should now, we should also mention the issue of niqab as well, and this, this comes into it now, okay? Um, I believe that some people need to go out there and, ex- and establish a certain status quo that other people... Uh, um, aren't able to um, and they want to but they, they can't what do I mean? there are some people out there that genuinely believe that they must wear a thobe to, it's the best way that they can preserve their kind of aura and their respectfulness and whatever and there are many, many, much more sisters who do not want to be seen in public they want to wear niqab but they're terrified of the, the repercussions of it Okay, what's the solution? What's the solution to this scenario? For the men, it's easy. People who have got the ability to pull it off and don't have a you know a care in the world, they should do it. And that was definitely one. That was me. I said just you know love the fact that people would challenge or attack or insult because I would destroy them. Yani at every level. Yani whether it's yani at a street life level or wasteman level or even like at the intellectual level. Yani there was a discussion. Why are you wearing it or whatever? I was very comfortable. So. I said, I'll take one for the team and let, you know, all the Buddha and what our uncles in the street wearing it. At least they feel more confident. At the end of the day, societal little thing starts and whatever. For women, I think it's even more important because you've got a, a load of women who 
Some Islamically follow the opinion, which I again, I repeat to you, was a position of the four imams, that it is an obligation to cover the face for the majority of women who believe that it could be fitna as a result of it, okay, in public. That they, for religious reasons, want to cover their face, or for, you know, whatever reason. Now, they are the ones that need to be thought about as a class of people, big time, because... One, some of them are following it for religious reasons, legal reasons. And two, uh, on the other hand, society has made it very clear that they don't want the niqab at all. And whether you accept their reasoning or not, they've made their decision. Okay? The kind of voices that you hear that, that celebrate it, they're your friends. They're, they're, they're 5% of the, com- of the country. No one uh, wants it. Okay? The majority of people don't like it. They find it uncomfortable. They only allow it because they protect. They recognize that to protect your right to wear that is protecting the principles that they enjoy life under. Yeah, no one celebrates another person's niqab. Yeah, and I just want to say, and that goes back into another discussion, which I go into a lot of detail when I talk about hijab, is that we didn't understand. Not only did we completely not understand hijab, but we didn't understand niqab either. Yani, there are people who try to defend niqab, and they try to. They're forced down that road, and it's a dead-end road, and so you're going to get beats at the end of it, basically. right? They're forced down that road in debate of trying to argue against the people who say that we can't see your expressions, we can't communicate. And so what do they say? No, it's in my eyes, you can. No, you know, you know this kind of thing, right? You are on a hiding to nothing. Because guess what? The niqab is not meant to express your face. That's the, that's the whole point. And you're desperately trying to defend it because that's the attack that they're coming in with, right? They're saying that we can't communicate with you, we're trying to whatever. And you're thinking, but I can communicate with you, so I'm going to now try and prove that you can. You know what? You're wasting your time. You should say, I can communicate with you. And no, my eyes are not meant to show to you that I'm smiling or I'm laughing or I'm crying or whatever. You know, because their point is their point. They want you not to be wearing it. And you are wearing it for whatever reason you are. It's not because... Yeah, and you're going to try and express a smile through your eyes because guess what? It is a million times easier just to do it with your mouth like everyone else does. You get what I'm trying to say? So this logical form of arguing is a major problem. But we have forced ourselves into that. So what do we do? What do we do, leaders, scholars, you know, Muslims? What should we do about the niqab? We need to encourage those sisters that are wearing it for religious reasons to wear it. And yet they are being attacked on the streets. They're an easy target, and why the society doesn't want it. It's very, very clear that they, for me that the amount of niqab wearers that were there 15 years ago compared to now directly has collapsed. Collapsed. Many of the people that I know that wore niqab as normal people when they were married or not married are not wearing the niqab. It is now something which from a fiqh point of view is now gaining a lot of speed to try and establish a solid fiqh foundation for taking off the niqab. Valid foundations, by the way. Yani, the fact that it's sunnah, the fact that it's not obligatory, the, the fact that it's yani, something which is, you know, even some attempts by some scholars to say that it's a cultural thing and not even a religious item, blah, 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 or whatever. So that's a difficult one. That's a real difficult one because really we should be theoretically giving advice to Muslims to do things that allow them to interact easier with the wider population. And if something's not an obligation, why are we making an obligation? Well, you know what? That's easy. That's easily, much more easier said than done. 
Because I would argue that once we have created this, and it's already happened now, and made niqab now not so important anymore because only sunnah, then everything then is a trickle. And I am now, like, compared to 15 years ago, if people compare what hijab used to look like then on, you know, on random sister on the street, and what hijab looks like now on random sister on the street, it's far less covered, more tight trousers, more tight shirts, whatever it is, and a more tight hijab than what it was before. So this niqab issue is far bigger than just the niqab. It is a coming down from a principle, and there's, when you start the, the descent, you can't stop. So there's that also factor to take into account. Then on the other side, you've got legal responsibility as a scholar to say, I do not believe niqab is fard. All of the evidence suggests it's sunnah. And so when you do that, what else are you saying but yani, you don't need to wear it? You get what I'm saying? There's so, so this is one of the most difficult issues of our time. You have those folks that want to wear it, and that should wear it, and they should maintain that, and it, it defends another, a whole lot of other principles. And at the same time, it's not obligatory, and people are causing, being caused harm, and we should avoid harm, and we should remove yani, things that are not necessary to protect yani, people. So Allah knows best. That's why we don't go in too much upon people wanting to tell them what to do, what not to do on this issue. Allah Yeah. You know, before you said Yes. So when you say sunnah, that's simply if you do it from a religious point of view. Correct. When we say the sunnah with respect to emulation, we are only talking, because the word sunnah means whatever it means, what you're referring to, because a hadith is called the sunnah, and the deen is also called the sunnah, and Allah's system is called the sunnah, and the Prophet sunnah means those things which we copy him with the intention of reward and we get rewarded for. But you can't say it if. Yeah, that you would emulate them. We will say, I will say that I don't believe that person will get rewarded, but I accept that an opinion exists that they will. Yeah, and it is a valid difference of opinion. No, no, no. They won't say sunnah. They will say you get rewarded according to your attention. They will say that uh, They will say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that in the Prophet and the Messenger of Allah you have the perfect يعني, example. And an example, an uswa, is something which يعني, people strive towards to copy in everything. So they will say there's the evidence so therefore I'm copying him in everything. So even though he never told us to do it, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm copying him and I want to be rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I chose him as opposed to cho- choosing some idiot on the street. You know what I'm saying? And us, definitely a valid opinion. I don't believe that it is legally the strongest, but it's a valid opinion to hold, yes. Big scholars here, and he held that, held that opinion. Yes. You said before that someone praying alone in tight clothes, the, the prayer is valid. Yes. But the person is sinful. According to uh, the level of tightness for a male, it would have to be significantly tight. Yeah, and for a female, it would be just yeah, and that which is describing the body and not showing the respect of normal clothing. So even given that, then, if the prayer is valid, where is the sin coming from? The sin is, uh, this goes back to that discussion which we've had a few times, which is to separate the validity of something and the required action or whatever. So for example, you know, the one that we use all the time is fasting. Is my fasting valid even though I don't pray dhuhr, for example? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, the fasting, I mean, it's, it's outrageous that a person fasts and doesn't pray dhuhr. However, from the conditions of fasting, is not dhuhr. 
Some people did say it's makru, by the way. So it is, yani, what, the point that you're making is a valid one. Some people did make it makru. Yeah, some people did say, but remember, makru is also a legal uh, uh, interpretation based upon evidence. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, again, yes. Although that example has so much discussion because the whole issue of stolen water doesn't have a nos direct a direct text. So, online. Men wearing red in prayer. Yeah, men should men <laughs> attacking bobs, man. They're always attacking bobs. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, no, it should be avoided. And red, of course, is pure red. Bob's, that is definitely a burger there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then that's 3,000 burgers there, bro. Yep. When the verse was revealed to the bleeding women, draw your veil, was this referring to the head or the face? This is the, this is the discussion of the scholars. Those that obligate uh, uh, niqab, they said that this refers to the face. Okay, or that it includes the face, rather. Yep. Wouldn't the times be like fulfilling the hadith of the days when women would be dressed out naked? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, this is one interpretation of the hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said that one of the signs of the day, one of the signs, one of the signs of the end of time, is that women will be clothed but naked, right? And there are a number of interpretations of this hadith, but I mean, you know, the most popular one is the 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 the, the, the what we're trying to say that women are fully clothed, but um, you know. As we say, wujudihi ka'admihi. Yani, its presence is like its absence. Yani, waste of time. A person, as I said to you before, uh, uh, especially to the male mind, uh, there's a, you know, and you know, the, 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 the thing that we fool ourselves into believing is that women don't know this. Women fully know this. Okay? <laughs> men know its impact and women know its impact upon men. That minimal clothing is more flirtatious and problematic than no clothing. Okay? And that's what the hadith would indicate. That a person, Yani, might technically cover everything, but in actual fact they've created a temptation temptation or whatever, tempting scenario which is full of fitna or whatever. Obviously everyone has their own responsibility. She has her responsibilities she has to pay for. He has his responsibility that he has to pay for. Everyone is accordingly judged. Yeah. In the Salah, isn't part of the protection of the aura of the woman from the fact that she is playing behind the men a possible uh, a bit of resistance? Because once we change position, it is inevitable that the aura will, aura will be, in some ways, be more apparent. The aura of the men? Yeah. The aura of the woman, when the fact is playing behind men, because once we change position, it, it is inevitable that the aura will be Seen. Yeah, seen. So, what's, so what's, what's, what's the question? In that, that the positioning of women behind the men indicates that what? The protection of the Oh, the, 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 correct, correct. Actually, everything about the Sharia, every hadith, everything that refers to physical actions and whatever. Why is it there are so many a hadith about the Prophet ﷺ prohibiting a woman going out, yani wearing perfume? Now, there's a big discussion concerning that about what perfume, but there's so many evidences. Sometimes it's the etr is used, which is just generic perfume. Other times, bukhur. And bukhur itself is not something which is applied to the skin. 
بخور smoked يعني to clothes right so يعني you know why are so many different uh, aspects like touching uh, women or handshaking women which is a very straightforward legal thing يعني a handshake in, remember handshaking was not greetings back in the day handshaking between women or whatever is a contractual thing you don't go around يعني it's it's an it's a it's a deal but but it's not something which was not allowed. Yani the point is, is that every aspect of the Sharia creates a scenario which is protecting men and women and uh, saving fitna and so on and so forth. Last one on that. Yeah. The trousers is a big kick-off. Uh-huh. Uh, it always is. <laughs> always is. So uh, the main question is that I think we need to go back. Trousers for men, what's tight, what's not tight. Trousers for women at home. There's a name to it. Okay, so... Let's just talk about at home For men and women Okay For men and women The aura does not yani, uh, Depending upon who's at home Is whatever you want it to be Frankly Okay So if it's your husband Then you don't even need to wear trousers Right If it's your wife You don't even need to wear trousers So if you don't need to wear it Then whatever you put on Is going to be better So, so that's the answer to that Yani, then when it comes to other people, then you should just use your common sense that there is an idea out there, not just amongst Muslims, but amongst normal human beings as well, that the more shorter, the more tighter, the more exposed the clothing, it is going against principles of maru'a, of chivalry, of adab, of khuluq, and all of this kind of thing. Okay? Now the legal point of uh, tightness. The legal point of tightness is when it is starting to show so much or show the skin or so much of an outline or, or shape that is creating fitna and that by necessity is a subjective statement you ask a woman and she might say you know it's bloody trousers leave me alone you know you're a pervert and you know, what are you thinking about i mean it's a fair statement she probably, when she puts on, you know, a normal pair of trousers, the last thing she's thinking of, how people, yani, measuring my thigh with their eyes, and how are people looking at my calf muscle, and whether it's, yani, been trained or not trained, or God knows what. <laughs> Who knows, yani? She's Muskina, right? She's, whereas men, that's the only thing they're thinking about. They're looking at everything, seeing everything, and whatever, whatnot, and there's got to be that, yani, honest discussion, or honest realization, that men do not view women like women think, and women don't understand men like women think or well, I don't even know what I just said but whatever yeah so likewise now now here's the interesting thing we discussed in the first lesson I think in Bukhari the hadith of um, who who was he who was seven it wasn't Anas subhanAllah his name has completely gone out of my head but anyway um, he was leading the female companions and the Prophet um, there's one immediate reaction in the hadith, which is to make sure that women, and that, and that spread in general, that they do not uh, lift their heads when these guys are in their sajda because of the tightness and the inability and whatever. Now there, you clearly have an idea that there's a certain level of tightness, okay, which is un- unavoidable and not part of normative tightness. Remember, it's not trousers. This is Yani Izar, uh, 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 okay, which is showing the private parts. I spoke about that in the issue of Ihram and about undergarments not being a reality. Yeah, um, and likewise, another time where more baggier clothing is being used to cover 
the body, etc., etc. So it is very difficult to just say, bam, this is how tight and this is not tight. But I'm saying that the simple and easy way of understanding this is that um, when it comes to the public outside uh, non-mahram people, you should be at your strictest when it comes to, your most conservative when it comes to your clothing. And what I'm saying, so the baggy it can get, the more nondescript it can get, this is yani, where the safety is, this is where the sunnah is, this is what the narrations you've seen are. They don't want you to wear clothes that describe the nature of the skin, which means the limb, which means the bones, which means the shape. Yani, it, is, it was never part of our culture that women have their legs exposed. Never. And it should never be. Okay? That's basically yani, a summary. Of yani, the women's side, I mean. And uh, Allah knows best. Is this what are you trying to say that it's become bored now? <laughs> That's a fiqh, yani, yeah. What, what, what is this? What do I want you to do? You want to lie down? <laughs> Can I take you? Honestly, completely useless. Then. Ten minutes, yeah? Turn the shut up and whatever, yeah? Take it. Okay. Right. Which one? Which one are we? Or which one are we keeping, boys? Which one are we doing? So it is heroes <laughs> celebrations. Heroes. to them, yeah. Shall all right then, guys? Yeah, Bismillah. Cricket. What a shot! There we go. Useless. Unbelievable. Um, that's the reason why we don't ever include you in our sports. That's the reason why we never include you guys in our sports. Right. Right, come on guys, come on and let's ask the questions finally and uh, thingy. I'm not checking the halal at all, I'm just checking all the good ones, that's all. We're still in the middle of a class here, can everyone yani, just focus on the class? Hey man, stop eating so many sweets man, khalas. Ajib, don't say that. Well, don't tell me they're Israeli or something. No, no, it's Bafia. Oh, Bafia, oh, well, that's alright then. <laughs> For something serious. Okay, yeah. In the medical profession, all that your form should be covered because it's infection control. Yeah. Why does a female draw the line there between adaptions? I think, Bismillah, the question is about. Um, scrubbing up and in medicine in, in the surgery and having to uncover the arms that's of course unacceptable and it's an uncovering of the aura however my ruling on and this is a ruling given by a number of scholars if someone's in a training period where they have to get that job done to get the job done then so be it and it's a darura I do not believe that a woman should throw away her medical degree because for a defined period of time, she has to do that. She minimizes as much as possible. She chooses the right times and she changes schedules and she does whatever she can. Yeah, Fear Allah as much as you possibly can. And then when she gets in control, then she doesn't have to do that kind of thing. She moves out of it, whatever, whatnot. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm finding it difficult to like, reconcile all these principles about modesty and honor. Well, not honor, but. Um, I understand. I find it difficult too. 
But the difference is, is that I take about 20 sweets like this and I put them in my lap. And every time I find it difficult, I think myself like this. Mm. Yeah. That makes it easier now. A little bit easier. Go ahead, go on. So with slave women, I understand like if they're with their owner, that, you know, to be uncovering everything, whatever, but I, I'm just finding it difficult to reconcile how she can walk around outside or basically help us. Me. So I would say, yeah. So number, number one, on the issue of slavery and slave women, I think it's very, very important that two things happen. Number one, that the context of that time has to be studied. I mean, the reality is, is that when you're teaching this subject and the word slavery comes up and something emotional connected to it, it is really difficult to be understanding that without studying slavery beforehand. That's why I said, or I wrote, or I don't know, I said, go and look at what Omar uh, Suleiman did on slavery first to digest it so that you get into the mindset of understanding that reality before then you dive into it. That's one thing. But then second thing, I want to say that the issue of slavery when it existed... Okay. The illa for covering and not covering is is a not an agreed upon fact. Yani I for example, just to tell you what Sheikh Muhammad Muhtar Shanqiti himself said. He said that the reality was is that at that time is that clothing was a impediment to work. Okay? Now we understand that. We understand that clothing can be an an impediment to work. Like, if you're, you know, washing dishes, the first thing you do is to roll up your sleeves, right? Because you don't want that getting in the way. Now multiply that by whatever, according to a very manual job or physical job, then we see that, you know, wearing too much can be a problem and wearing certain clothes helps, etc., etc. These people who were slaves were our modern-day maids, effectively, and modern-day farmhands and modern-day laborers, Yeah. And if you imagine these people wearing lots of clothes and this and that, and so the idea was not that they have to go around naked, but rather they are not obligated to have to worry about the stress of covering themselves, something which they can't afford, something which is a headache for them, sometimes something which is going to get in the way of their work and their service and their quality, which is going to upset their master, blah, 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 blah. While society is being primed, yeah, while society is being primed to move on from slavery, to free as many as possible, to get into a more self kind of thingy, we've got to deal with the reality at the time. And at that time, it was a blessing for those who were slaves to not have to fulfill the conditions of full hijab and awrah and everything. Now, I will say something which is very important for you to remember. When you say that kind of statement, it is very dangerous because people then say, therefore, there's no need to apply it today. Yeah? That same thinking. I've, I've justified, basically, I've created a narrative around why they were wearing what they were wearing and why. The danger is that a person then says, right, now there's no slavery or there's very little slavery or there's clothes which don't you know, fall into that category. So we don't ever have to now worry about that. You know what I say to you? I say to you, don't take on a burden and don't hurt your head, yani head-butting a mountain. Don't worry about today. You know? Just don't. It's, it's an intellectual headache that's not necessary. The reality is we don't have slavery. 
The reality is that every human level, we understand that different people need to wear different clothes for work. And today, just when you have a maid, one of the reasons why we don't like having maids, okay, is because they have to be in some form of undress at home. It's, it's very, very difficult. When we, you know, when you live in Muslim countries, okay, the definition of a practicing maid, I, I remember we used to have a maid, uh, did we? I'm pretty sure that we had, you know, either uh, um, in Egypt something like, yeah, and someone used to come and clean or whatever. Um, but I remember very clearly that there was one who was practicing, and was one who was just, yeah, you know, from the masses. She was the Bawab's wife, yeah, and basically Augustina, yeah. And she would come and she'd, you know, she'd just do off her sleeves like that, and she would knock it out. She would knock it out. And then I remember the other one, she wore full niqab. And I used to be watching her, yeah. And I said to my Mrs. Man, this miskina, she's, she's literally, she's dying here. In full niqab, cleaning this, that, whatever, whatnot. You get what I'm trying to say? And she was, it's come back to me now, she was a, she was a Bawab's wife as well. Bawab is like a gatekeeper, yeah. And these people are working 24 hours a day. Like they have to be on call 24 hours for anything that happens to the apartment. And she's wearing a niqab. And it's just, she just looks so mission. Everywhere she goes, she's wearing a niqab, whatever, whatnot. So, you know, if you just see that a couple of times, this whole, you know, confusion disappears. You understand. But, that, but that's my point. You can say that now today, that's not an issue. And that's why we don't want to make ourselves in a position where we're saying this is the illa and there is no other illa. No. We're saying this is how we understand it. And in the absence of any need to progress on it further, we're happy with it as a working example. Go on. I was just going to say, like, um, I don't know if I should bring this up, but like, to me, not having that upper part of the body unco- uh, covered for women is more of an impediment than having it. Because obviously there's like... There's a difference, by the way... In, for women because they... So there's a difference between um, insisting on something... Yeah, that's that's the, the I think the biggest misconception. It's like we're trying to. See, it's like the, the, somehow Muslims and non-Muslims have understood that we tell slaves uncover yourselves. Isn't there a narration though? Not in this context. Not in the context of work. Not in the context of life, but in a specific form of identifying who a person was. You know what I'm saying? Lord. Anyone else? Anything else? What the color red. Never heard anything about the color red. Yeah, no, hadith, the Prophet sallam, but the, 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 that, uh, that he prohibited the wearing of red for a male. But what is the prohibition? The prohibition is a complete red, meaning that there is no break, there's no design, there's no mixing of colors, there's no yani whatever. So as you can see, Bob's is desperately looking at the three lines on his yani, <laughs> arm and saying, that's enough of a break. That would do me. That would do me. <laughs> would do me. And it would do us as well. So. We don't get these maroon clothes. No, 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 no. Maroon is okay. Maroon is okay. As far as I know, there is no specification to what type of garment. It's across the board. It's across the board. Okay, guys. Uh, yep, yeah, last question. Is there any reason behind the water? Um, I can't remember. I'd have to go and refresh my mind. 
about the about the discussion. Uh, those who are in Scotland, inshallah, this weekend I will be teaching fitna, the Tafsir Surah Al Imran, starting on Friday. And um, uh, don't forget about uh, f- uh, February 10th, Yasser, and no doubt, and uh, conference April, and all other things. Okay, Jazakumullah khair, everybody. Subhanakallah, wa bihamdika, shadu wa la ilaha ila 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 ila